Vinny won't get annoying in a couple weeks. So we are here. We are in this new sermon series for the new year. 19 of you uh, have uh, written prompts uh, in the month of October of questions or thoughts or uh, different aspects of either the faith or the Bible uh, that you guys have submitted. Okay, and initially I was like, this is going to be really, really exciting. Uh, by about the eighth one, I was like, oh no, uh, this was not at all what I thought it was going to be. But true to my word, I am going to preach on these things as they really pertain to you guys and to all of us. A lot of them uh, had a lot to do with stuff that we talk about pretty much every day. So there's going to be kind of mini sermon series in this series. Uh, there'll be two this week, then one that will be different, then two and then one, and then we'll already be at Lent, which is crazy. Uh, but we're going to cover a lot. Now, those that did submit stuff on apocalyptic and end times, First of all, thank you for that. Uh, that is going to be covered in the Revelation sermon series in the fall. Okay, so we have the sermon series, Hail to the Victor, starting on Labor Day. Uh, and so that, those will be hit then. So if I'm not touching those uh, during this sermon series, please understand, I will save those, we will get to those, and we will talk about them. But some of these questions were written very broadly, and I'm going to do my best. Some of these Questions were written extremely specifically to the point where, and I'm just going to put a disclaimer out there, some of you wrote these expecting a certain answer directly the way you would answer them, and I love you, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, because any question that's, that's asked when you already have a formulaic answer in your mind isn't actually a real question. Uh, it is a statement. And so we're going to work with all of these. We're going to dive into, or I say most of them, uh, some of them, I just, it was, it, there are no answers. Uh, but most of them there were, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to show a lot of grace, and we're going to dive into God's word, which is exactly what we want to do, especially in the new year. So in the beginning of service, I asked the question, uh, or I, I brought up the word sovereignty, and why, in my opinion, we love it, but there are aspects of us, and we're going to break it down this week and next week, of why we actually might hate that word. So I want to start off before reading a couple definitions, just to see a couple people's thoughts. How do we feel about the word sovereign? Just the word sovereign. How do we feel about that word? Any, any emotions or thoughts come to mind when you hear the word sovereign? It's not a word we use a lot, but in reformed circles, it's a tenet of our belief system, believe it or not. That God's sovereignty, if you will, is a central belief of Munster Church. It is a central belief of Pastor Jim Hollandoner. It is a central belief of, my guess, many of you, if not all of you, uh, whether you know it or not. Okay? So with that said, uh, but before we do all of this, I want to pause because I completely overlooked a great aspect of the service. So let's pause, hit the pause of this. We have a new family that we're welcoming today. And I got so excited to dive into God's word that I forgot them. Uh, and this is the second time I forgot them. We forgot them in the month of December, and I'm truly sorry for that. But we want to welcome the Molinar family uh, to the church. So where are the Molinars? They're usually, sometimes they're in the back. They're back there. Can you guys just stand really quick? Let's welcome the Molinar family. Yeah. 
So I'm going to say they're very unique in the sense of they're one of the only ones that they have. Well, half of them are wearing sunglasses in their pictures. Uh, so that's very, very, they're a very cool family. So we welcome the Molinars. We thank you so much. We praise God that he has brought you to the fellowship. So after service, please go over and meet the Molinars. Uh, don't let them skip out too quick. Uh, and we just thank you so much for being a part of that. And now can I get back to preaching? Is that okay? Very good. All right. Sovereignty. Let's get back to that. Sovereignty. Any thoughts? It's a big word. Yes. Power. Overall. Okay, good. We're, we're kind of building it. Let's look at a kind of a basic definition of sovereignty. In political theory, the ultimate overseer or authority in the decision-making process over a, of a state and in the maintenance of order. The authority of a state to govern itself or another state, uh, example, a national sovereignty. Then obviously when we get into a different definition, more on the faith side of things, the sovereignty of God is the same as the lordship of God. For God is the, so is the sovereign, kind of the sovereign one over all creation. The major components of God's lordship are his control, authority, and uh, covenantal presence. So this understanding of lordship is kind of tied and linked to sovereignty. There's another definition that I like, kind of more about the sovereignty of God, and it comes to us from the Gospel Coalition. The sovereignty of God is the fact, I love that, the fact that he is the Lord over creation as sovereign. He exercises his rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king, his control over all things, and his presence with his covenantal people and throughout his creation. So now I ask you, how are we doing with this word sovereign? So very big, absolutely. Anyone else? Huh? It's a tug of war, so you're already feeling the tension. And I didn't even tell Lisa to say that, but there, there is a tension here. I'm already feeling it from you because I feel it also inside myself that there is a supreme being that is Lord over every aspect of your life. He is Lord of how your fingernails grow. He is Lord over all of the things of earth being created. He is Lord over every blade of grass, every baby born, everything of everything. And I think it's clear why there are times that that is an amazing comfort. I remember uh, three years ago when my sister, uh, when we were saying goodbye to my sister as she was dying from cancer, people asked how, how I was doing. And it's, that was kind of a dumb question, but it was, it, one of the things that brought me comfort was the fact that God was sovereign. And I really had to work through that. And saying that out loud, talking about a 36-year-old that was dying, it's really weird. But the fact that God was sovereign, the fact that God had a plan, and though I long for my sister to be still with her kids and her husband Paul and be there down in Alabama and, and, and still be the aunt to my boys, yes, I, I, I long for that though he found a wonderful girl, and Lindsay is a great mother to uh, my niece and nephews and all of those things, there was a sovereign plan there. But now you also get a taste of why we also hate it. 
that if we're honest, we actually hate it because the, a, a, a more of a secular individual or a humanist or maybe even believers, how in the world could you be okay with a sovereign God who has a plan, if you will, that your sister would be gone from this earth at the age of 36? Now you see the tension. There has to be. Right? My wife is a NICU nurse. And, and unfortunately, in, in that department of the hospital, death is a part of it. That there are babies that are born and they, they, it's called incompatible with life, right? That is kind of a phrase that is used. How in the world could a sovereign God allow for that? I'll enter about four of you that ask questions along these lines. That I could feel the tension in your questions. That this idea of being sovereign... Right, This idea of claiming, because when you claim that Jesus is Lord of your life, you are subscribing to the sovereignty of God. And this has nothing to do with free will predestination, though we're going to get to a little bit of that. That there is a being that is over every jot and tittle of your life. If you don't know, that's the eye of the, the dot on the eye and the cross of the T. Right, Every aspect of your life is overseen by a sovereign God. And for me, that brought comfort. Now, there are also days that it doesn't. There are also days that I go, God, I thought you said you were in control after certain situations or conversations or whatever. Like, God, you're in control and you're letting this happen? What in the world? What kind of sovereign are you? I find myself asking that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you're better believers than I. But there's an aspect of God's sovereignty that we should just kind of fall back in and be comforted. Yet we don't for a lot of the time. Colossians writes it this way, and this is probably biblically one of the best descriptions of God's sovereignty. It comes to us from Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of... Nope, we don't have a slide for that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. That can never be said of any one of us. That is said of Christ, that is said of the Godhead, that is said of the sovereignty, lordship of God. And so it makes total sense why some of your prompts that you gave me was just had built-in angst. Because how do we, as a fallible group of people, meaning fallen, meaning sinners, meaning error-prone, how do we make sense of that? How do we live that out, especially with a human's thirst and almost demand for answers? When when something is uncertain, we strive for it, right? 
When we split, and again, I'm going to be way over my skis on this, like in the world of chemistry, you know, when, when, we, when they split, the, they thought the atom was the smallest thing, and then, I don't know, at some point, they split it open, and it was a whole world in there, right? Any science person, is that somewhat accurate? Jess, you don't know. Don't shake your head. Jeremiah, is that somewhat accurate? You you're a math guy. So, yeah, you know, like all of these things that we, we, we desire, we demand to know, yet at the end of sovereignty is we won't know fully ever. Here on earth, we will never fully know because there's this aspect of faith. It takes faith to believe in a sovereign God. It does. I mean, it takes faith to believe in God anyway, right? If you're in a different world religion or, or maybe you go back to the Egyptians where they had hundreds of gods, it took faith, but their faith was duty. Their faith was sacrifice. Their faith were all of these things. Well, if I do all of these things, that means I believe. That is not the Christian faith. That is not a sovereign God. There is a belief that God is in control and then that is what it's all about, Yet in 2024, if we're going to turn the mirror on ourselves, we love to have control. We love it. For a lot of us, we actually make an idol of control. Whether you're a business owner, a mother, a father, or the oldest child, right, birth order, they like to be the one in control. We, we, we long for it. When things aren't going our way, we want to make sense of it. And more times than not, we want to make sense of it the way we make sense of things. that's not how sovereignty works because the aspect of God's sovereignty ultimately takes faith that he is God and we are not. That God's plan is the plan, always will be the plan, and there is no other plan greater than God's plan. And as believers, we submit our lives to that. Yet the believer that submits to it, then takes it back, puts it in God's hands, but then takes it out, or says, you know, God, you are in control, but then demands to control the situations, there's that tension and there's that rub. And unfortunately, the church, in the history of the church, has taken that understanding of God's sovereignty, and they try to humanize it. We do this all the time. It's one of the reasons why we have thousands of denominations is A, we don't play well in the sandbox with each other, and at the same time, when there's one degree difference that we don't like, this goes bigger than pews or chairs, right, that we take it and we go, then we're going to start our own belief system. This one aspect of God, we're going to take it and we're going to run with it. Free will, predestination, right, sacramental theology, all of these things, all of these things of God, all of these things of the scriptures that we hold to, We then take and we run with it. Things like baptism, right? Here we hold a sacrament of baptism is for the household. You go to Steve DeWitt's church, right? He's a wonderful man of God. Bethel on Broadway over there in Crown Point. They hold to more of a Baptist theology, more of a a free will theology of I choose Christ, right? And then I'm baptized, Friends, if you're going to get into like a shooting match over that, you're doing it in vain. One's just emphasizing one aspect of the relationship with God, where the other is referencing more the covenant aspect of God. Kingdom, covenant. It's the same sovereign God. 
And so when we understand these things and the angst that comes from them, the things that we need to first and foremost stand on is that God is in control. In God's wisdom, he saved you. He saved me because there was sin. Well, one of the first prompts, and I knew that I knew that I knew I was going to get this. If God was so good, why would he let sin First of all, that's not a complete sentence. Even I know that. But why would he allow sin in the world? Why in the world would there be a fall? If God created everything good, then why the fall? The easy answer is, I wasn't there. I don't know. But we trust it, and God's word is there. But there you have a couple camps. And now we're going to get a little nerdy, okay? And if you knew the person that wrote this, you'd understand that it's a little nerdy. But you know who you are. There's these two words that have plagued Reformed theology in its debate, okay? It's superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, okay? You are all now better because you know that, okay? When you get to Bible trivia at the bar and you say superlapsarianism, you will get your mozzarella sticks, okay? I want to go to whatever bar is doing that, and having that level of reform trivia night, that would be fantastic, okay? But these actually mean something. There are actually 100-year-old debates over these understandings. So first and foremost, the question that they're trying to splice, remember how I talked about that different denominations, different kind of thoughts of theology and faith, they take one aspect of, of the Bible and they just camp in it for years and years and years. The question is this. Did God elect to save or condemn prior to the fall of man, or was it after the fall of man? Prior, supra, after, infra, okay? So did this all happen? Did God create, knowing that they were going to fall and the salvation was going to come, supra, or supra, lapsarianism, okay? Or was it more in the after? Now, I think we all can agree. Who cares but at the same time, there are people, there are denominations, and some that are very prevalent in this area that make this a kind of be-all, end-all to their theology. Because the way that they then bring this down in their understanding of God's sovereignty, in my, in my understanding, is more of a manipulation of what they do and don't want to do in their faith. So this understanding that God did something that God saves. Was it then, before, or was it after? I think, though it's non-Selvitic, and I'm going to call it that, this is a non-Selvitic question, but a lot of our debates are, that there's actually a missional understanding to the answer. That you can actually turn a word like supralapsarianism or infralapsarianism, it's just fun to say, actually into a missional document. Because one of the things you have to understand is that one of those stances is missional and one of them really isn't. That there's an understanding if you take superlapsarianism, meaning God before the creation of the world said he was going to save, that actually takes the idea of evangelizing off the, off the table. That God's already chosen those that are going to be saved and chosen those that are called reprobates or those that are going to hell. That's a rough doctrine. Sitting in that doctrine as a flawed human being that I love a sovereign God who before the beginning of the world 
chose to save some and chose to condemn some, that's a really tough doctrine. I've studied this in seminary for years, but that's a tough doctrine. That's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you walk that out into denominations today that say there's no need to outreach. There's no need to evangelize. Though it's littered in the New Testament that we're, we're supposed to do it, they hold to a fact of God already has his elect, and who am I to speak into it? I call that spiritually irresponsible and spiritually lazy because I think Jesus is missional. And that's where I land more in the infralapsarianism, and so does Munster Church, in the fact of there was a mercy understanding of God, that God's attribute of mercy shows up right in the beginning. Sin enters the world, God comes down to Adam and Eve, he is looking for his creation, the one created in his image, though flawed, and right there he says, and this is going to happen. Though there's consequence, though there's curse, this is going to happen. There will come a savior. And so one of the things we have to understand is that the infralapsarianism highlights the mercy of God. That God's attribute of mercy is just that. In his mercy, he is sovereign. In his mercy, he has shown you what is good. In his mercy, he has declared his providence over you. That when you are a believer, you, God's attributes are for you. He's showing you what to do. And so if God is going to offer mercy and grace in our lives, we ought to do the same. And why wouldn't we? We look at the state of the world today, and we're going to get to a lot of the culture questions in a couple weeks. You look at the culture today, does it not need the mercy of God? Some would say it needs the judgment of God, and there are days I feel that way too. And believe me, it's going to come. But God is also merciful, that God is also giving those opportunities. God is giving the opportunities for you to go and bring your faith to someone that doesn't have it. And maybe that's part of your story. That someone who was of faith brought you into an understanding of faith and God worked in your heart and showed you that he is sovereign, he is good, and you can trust it. And you can take it to the bank. But that's the other aspect. That's the other aspect of God's sovereignty and his providence that we really, really struggle with. I'm chosen by God? If we're really honest... We don't deserve that. And if I'm being really honest, you don't. And neither do I. I am, I am chosen. I am elected to be in God's family. Yes. And don't look a gift horse in the mouth. A lot of times we struggle with that word election. And for a lot of times it really gives reform people a black eye because we throw that word election around in a pompous way. Like, we're varsity of faith. You're JV. That's not even a thing. But understanding that we are elect, sometimes we idol worship the fact that we are elected by God. I don't think that's what he had in mind. I don't think God said, I have chosen you. From the beginning of the world, I have chosen you to stand over judgment of everybody, cast all the stones, and be jerks. No. 
the exact opposite. Die to yourself, die to all that junk, and serve others. Sometimes serving is showing people the way of Christ. It's showing them the truths of God's word. We can do it with a bullhorn, or we could do it with a cup of coffee. There is choice in that. But this understanding that God has elected, I'm going to lean into our confessions as we close. And again, we're closing kind of more of it to be continued. Canons of Dort, first head of doctrine, Article 7, states this. And so God decreed to give Christ those chosen for salvation and to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through the word and spirit. In other words, God decreed to grant them true faith in Christ to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of the Son, to glorify them. God did all of this in order to demonstrate his mercy to, pray, uh, to the praise of the riches of God's glorious grace. As scripture says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him with love. He predestined us whom he adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in himself according to the good will or the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace by which he freely made us pleasing to himself in his beloved. That's Ephesians. And elsewhere, those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot in there. But one of the things that I want to give you January 7th, 2024, is that you have been chosen by God. That God has chosen you. Yes, even you who don't think, who does not think that you can be loved. Those that think, I'm too screwed up for this. I'm too broken. I'm too hurt. I know I'm going to cheat on God again tomorrow. All of those feelings, all of those angst, does not waver God's providential love for you. Why? He created you in his image, and God is not a masochist. God does not hate himself. God hates sin. So when God calls us to himself, part of that calling process is a reaping. Part of that calling process is removing the sin from our life. And if we're being honest, we love sin, and it's some of us, it's really attached, and that's going to hurt. That pruning is going to be a process. That pruning is going to take time. But God's providence does not waver. God's sovereignty is there for you. I liken it to some of the videos. You guys already know I'm weird, so it's fine. But all the creative, when all of my boys had loose teeth, we all, I kind of YouTube creative ways of getting the tooth out. I did. And there were a lot of different ones. And I think we've done, we've done remote control cars, right, where we've tied that and, and, you know, please don't call DCFS. They're fine. But I've seen some that, I mean, and these kids are terrified. There's one where the, they're in, like, the woods, which is super strange. But he's, he tied it to a golf ball. The dad did, and he's getting ready to hit the golf ball, and the boy is screaming bloody murder, right? He's like, call 911, somebody. Like, you know, 
If he would have said, I don't know this man, I think the video would have taken a very weird turn. But it was his dad, and he's freaking out. He is sobbing. He is so scared. And what I love is the dad's like, it's going to be fine. Like, he knows it's going to be fine. Now, I'm sure there's a little part in the dad's mind like, it better be fine. But understand, he takes that swack of that ball and the tooth, and all of a sudden you just hear this, like, freak out into a laugh. That though it was scary, though they was terrified, when it was done, he was fine. He laughed it off. And he gave Jim Holland owner a sermon illustration. Is that not representative of a lot of our lives of faith? This is so scary, I don't want to give up the life that I had before. I don't want to dive in. I know God's got his providence and his sovereignty in this golf ball. Weird image, but you understand. Like, And God's just going to whack this ball and go, this is what your life's going to be. Your life is going to be providential. Your life is going to be something I sacrifice for to love you, so you ought to love others. This is the life of the believer. And we're so scared. This is it? Wait, my job is to love others in a very real way? I don't have the burden of being judgmental anymore? Because if we're being honest, and we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, a lot of us love to be judgmental, but that takes a lot of work. Because you better be perfect if you're going to do it. But then all of a sudden, the realization that God has been, God is, God always will be God, doesn't become so scary. And though it doesn't make sense, and I, at that time, 34-year-old mind, why my 36-year-old sister of three, that who had three kids under 10, was going to go into glory, and my nephews and niece aren't going to have their biological mother anymore, there was something comforting in the fact that God was in control. So I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know what it is for you in 2024. You know what? 2024 may be your year. And it may be just like every other year you've had. But I think we can go into it going, huh, God's sovereign? I think 2024 is going to be okay. I think we're going to make it. And guess what? If in 2024... Your number is done, your, or your number is called, your days are over, your table is prepared, the room prepared. Guess what? You get to live in God's glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what a design is now thinking about. That is what the design, Archie Bazine, is now planning and preparing for. That is why when I talk to an Ellie Bazine, she has no fear, though she'll be sad. She completely understands. There's something about God's sovereignty and his providence. So I leave you with this thought, and it comes to us from Lord's Day, 20, or Lord's Day 10, question and answer 27. And again, this is the to be continued. What do we do, or what do we understand by the providence of God? Hear this, Munster Church. The almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth, and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and pro or poverty, 
all things, in fact, come to us not by chance. If your years are going to be done by chance, that stinks. It is not done by chance, but by his fatherly hand. 